We may live over 5,000 miles from Lincoln Financial Field, but what we lack in proximity, we make up for in film study. And each and every week, we'll be bringing you in-depth film breakdowns from across the pond and the Sooner State. Welcome to On the Shane Page. I'm your host, Shane Half. You can follow me on Twitter at ShaneHalfNFL. And I'm joined by BGN's own Johnny Page. Give him a follow on Twitter at JohnnyPage9. Johnny, how are you doing this evening? I am very well. I feel like weeks like this split the uh, the people from that watch every play and the people that watch the highlights because anyone who watches every play knows that despite me being a huge fan and celebrating Jake Elliott's field goal extremely, extremely loudly at 7am, there's a part of you that thinks, ah, oh, overtime. Because as much as I loved making the kick, 10 seconds later, every time I'm watching a play, I'm thinking, that's another 45 seconds. That's another 45 seconds. And the defense was draining this week. Um, it, was a really, it was an interesting game. But yeah, you can really tell who watches the film by the way they always start a podcast by saying that was a long week. Overtime was great. Very, very glad the Eagles won. But if we could do it in regulation in the future, that'd be massively appreciated to my work-life balance this week. Maybe with some of those ball control drives too. It takes me so much longer to watch defense than offense and when your defense is on the field for 90 96 snaps man it's a lot of film but uh so but we grinded all the film we're gonna get into it all uh before we do that though just want to mention ratings reviews are very helpful for the show if you guys would leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts uh and mention our show in the review that would be very helpful we do have a review from friends with pods and that would be fair. They said that they look forward to Brandon and Jimmy's pod every week. And uh, they did say in a parentheses at the end that Shane and Johnny are good, too. So, you know, priorities. We want to get bumped up to the top of those reviews, but we'll take it. Uh, always enjoy uh, hearing from you guys. Things that you want to see us talk about in the show, uh, especially as we trend closer and closer to the offseason. But without any further ado, it is a long game. We tend to have long podcasts. Let's dive into it. Uh, and let's talk about the offense. We're each going to give you three takeaways from the offensive film. We'll throw to a break and come back and talk defense. So, Johnny, I'll throw it to you here first. What was your first takeaway watching the offense on film? So, um, as is becoming a custom uh, for me, I'm going to talk about run game to begin with this week. Um, in particular, I um, I don't really know what to say about Jason Kels because uh, he defies the laws of age at the moment. Um, I honestly think he's playing as well as I've ever seen him play. And if we talk about retirement every year, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but unless the Eagles win the Super Bowl this year, maybe he decides to go out. His body just, he doesn't look like he's breaking down at all. Um, so a couple of things I want to talk about this week. I thought the run game was good overall. I, I'm always going to say I think there's room for something else with the run game. And I think um, I'll talk about that for a long, long time. But last week I spoke about outside zone pinball. And this week there was two plays that really stood out to me. So, um, well, three plays actually, but I'm going to start, I'm not going to do this in order because I'm going to start, it's part of my point, let's say. So something the Bills did this week was they left Jason Kelsey quite a lot uncovered. Um, we spoke about pimple last week. So pimple was not necessarily a run. So when I say pimple outside zone, it's outside zone. Um, the pin and pull element comes where if Jason Kelsey has got nobody in, on his inside shoulder, so let's say the play is being run to the left. Um, if there's no one on the right of Jason Kelsey, he can basically pull because there's nobody blocking him. The Bills are a fantastic matchup for this week um, because the Bills play a lot of fronts where they don't cover the center. So every time they did, and I tweeted this, and I'm genuinely not joking, if a defense comes out in a nickel front with a four-man front and they don't have Jason Kelsey covered and it's first or second and 10, I'm going to audible to pinball outside zone on nearly every play and, and i don't say that to be like sarcastically I, I genuinely mean it because the eagles are so good at running this play so first i'm going to show you what pimple sort of is but then i also want to talk to you about well, what happens if defense stops it because there's something else jason kelsey did in this game that was just outrageous so i want to start with play six uh, on my thread this week which is possibly the most beautiful example of pimple outside zone you will ever see so the Eagles are in 11 personnel. They've got one tight end, uh, Jack Styles, the right-hand side. Uh, because Jason Kelsey has nobody, as I mentioned before, he is uncovered. There is nobody on uh, his right shoulder. That means he can pull. And if you watch how well he pulls on this play, um, firstly, his block is ridiculous. Everyone else does their job perfectly. Jack Styles is perfect. Um, look at Cam Jurgens as well. So this is not just a Jason Kelsey point. Cam Jurgens gets to the second level and shoves the linebacker out of the way like he weighs about as much as me. Um, it, if you're looking at like 
run game. This play is, it's not an exaggeration to say it's blocked perfectly. Um, it's DeAndre Swift's huge run. I think it's his biggest run of the game. I don't honestly think you can block a, pl- a play any better than this. Um, and it's, I don't think there's a better play the Eagles run than outside zone pin ball right now. Um, then they came back to it later on. So later on in the game, I believe it was, uh, this is a lovely example of me looking through my thread. Uh, there was a play later on, which maybe I didn't tweet out this week, which is great podcasting. I was sure I tweeted out another example of um, Jason Kelsey pudding. I guess the other example actually is on the uh, touchdown where Jalen Hurts ran at the end of the game. Um, that's a very different type of play. And I can debate whether that's that's more of a draw. And some people will call what Jason Kelsey does there a pull. Um, some people won't. But it's still Jason Kelsey in space. Um, some people call it a trap. Some people call it a foul block. There's lots of different words for it. But essentially, it's another example of Jason Kelsey um, out in space. Clearly, I watched another great example of outside zone pin pull. I didn't clip up this week because I probably tried to stop myself. But this is also a fantastic example of Jason Kelsey on the move. But this is not the player I actually want to talk about this week. Um, basically, you're probably sitting there at home thinking, and I would be thinking something similar, um, why did the Bills ever leave Jason Kelsey uncovered then? Because they're watching film like I am. They know how good the Eagles are at this play. So let's go to play two on my clip um, where they cover Jason Kelsey. Jason Kelsey cannot pull on this play. And some of the problems when Jason Kelsey can't pull is obviously what makes a zone running game successful is getting to the second level. So what Jason Kelsey does is he decides to shoulder barge. I don't even know what this what you call this move. He just leans in to the tackle that he's to his right shoulder and then just gets straight to the second level. And this is on Kenny Gainwell's um, long run where he nearly scores on a touchdown. This is on split zone. Um, so he's not actually pulling on this play, but he gets to the linebacker just as quickly as if he was pulling. It's almost like he said, right, you're going to cover me up. I can't pull. I'm annoyed. I'm just going to quickly shoulder barge this guy on my right just so I can get out in space again. I don't think I've ever seen a guy get to the second level as quick as that. Um, the linebacker must be thinking, well, great. What am I supposed to do here? So even when you leave him or even when you do cover him, Jason Kelsey just has answers for everything. Like I, I can't express how well he's playing. We don't even talk about things like the brotherly shove on this play because it's not really very exciting for film nerds like us, but it's all Jason Kelsey. Like the run game is Kelsey. I thought Jurgens is brilliant. My last was brilliant in this game. Um, what he did in this game was almost, it, it defies belief at times. Like he really is playing that well. And if I'm the Eagles, I'm simplifying the run game. I'm getting Jason Kelsey on the move as much as I can. I'm using Jalen Hurts as much as I can. And that outside, that outside zone pinball play, if he is not covered in future weeks, I want to see the Eagles run that play a lot because I think it's their best executed play right now. And it was just something I wanted to mention because that second clip is so cool where they actually did cover him up on that play. They did have a, a one technique to the right of him. And it's almost like shrugging the shoulders. Like, okay, I'm still going to get to the second level. Um, there's still some things the Eagles could do better with the run game. I still think Hurts' mobility could help out in the future. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was a incredibly good display by Kelsey and Cam Jurgens as well deserves a mention for some of the stuff he gets he can do on the second level as well all right yeah um Jason Kelsey so 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 good uh the Eagles use him as a weapon in the running game and I want to talk about something that's tied a little bit to the running game and that was the Eagles usage of RPOs in this game there was a lot of confusion early in this game and you even saw it a little bit in the second half uh some RPO issues And then you saw the Eagles sort of take the RPOs out of the playbook for a little bit and then come back to it later. And I don't know what the issue was. Uh, Hertz seemed just off in his reads. And so I've got some plays here that I'm going to show. I'll tweet this out later for our audio listeners, but I'll talk about what's happening. There's some RPOs and some zone reads where Hertz just misses it, I think. And so this is is one. Uh, We'll roll the play here. And this just looks like a clear give to me. Now, Number 90, the defensive end, he's playing sort of a, he's not very far outside, but he doesn't commit to going after Hurts. And I tweeted this clip and I had people saying, well, there's nowhere for Swift to go. That's not Jalen Hurts read. Jalen Hurts isn't looking backside to see whether this is a, there's a hole there. He's just reading the end and the end doesn't attack DeAndre Swift. So you should be handing this off. Now Hurts keeps it and he's going to try to get the edge and he might get the edge. He's able to get around the defensive end. But then you have your tight end. I think it's Jack Stoll and Julio Jones. They both target the same guy upfield. So there's, and neither of them actually block him. So you just get Hurts with three white jerseys around him and he slides down. Poorly executed play there. Um, If it's close, 
I just want you to hand the ball off. And I think that Hertz should have probably handed that one off. Stole and Julio Jones should have had better blocking there. And then we get to the pick, the tipped interception. And this one's tough because this is a RPO that they ran. Uh, they ran last week and I talked about it. It's like the little AJ Brown motion across the formation into a wheel route. And it's kind of like a slant flat or slant curl uh, wheel route. And the first time the Eagles run it this game, it works perfectly. The second time it works, number 25, their linebacker. They, they don't really scrape exchange this time. The defensive end gets upfield instead of attacking the running back. And the linebacker drifts outside into this passing lane. And this is one where Hertz needs to see that and he needs to hand this ball off. You're reading the defensive end. Sometimes it's okay to hand it off. Instead, he tries to throw it, zip it into a window right over a blitz, a free runner. And it gets tipped and intercepted. And yeah, it's a little bit of bad luck. It gets intercepted, but you also have an interception in the Dolphins game that was tipped on an RPO where he probably should have given it. And at a certain point, you make a little bit of your own luck. So uh, Hertz has got to try something different there. So that one really costs the Eagles. Um, we get into another one that was before half that was weird where Hertz like tries to, he pulls the ball and, and then he tries to stick it back in Kenny Gainwell's chest and it ends up being a fumble. That one's on Hertz. Like you could see on the broadcast that Hertz starts to pull the ball and then puts it back in after Gainwell is transitioned to thinking he's going to block. Like you can see it on the replay there. He right here's where you got to give it to him. You pull it and then tried to stick it. And Gainwell's already transitioned to blocking. And Hertz just wasn't trusting his eyes. Like he had the right idea that the slot corner was coming on a blitz. You could have tried to fit that ball into Devonte Smith. That was the correct decision there, but he didn't trust it. Uh, and he ends up the fumble. Maybe he's got that tipped interception in his head from earlier. And then the Eagles came out right after halftime. What do they run the first play? They run a slant flat RPO and Hertz pulls the ball and both the slant and the flat are open and he doesn't throw either one and takes a sack. And you can't take a sack on an RPO. Like you got to get the ball out. Your guys are run blocking. They've, if you don't get it out before they're a yard up field, uh, it's a penalty. And he just isn't trusting his eyes. And I thought wisely after this play, they sort of flushed RPOs and they just quit running them for a little while. But the RPO game was definitely off here. Hertz reads were off. And uh, I thought that was a huge problem. The biggest problem in the first half, I said it during the halftime show, was a lack of execution from Jalen Hurts. Now, fortunately, they smoothed that out, uh, but would like to see them be able to start a little faster next week. Yeah, I actually agree. Um, Brian Johnson's always going to get some hits. Um, some of the comments online I've seen about him this week are wildly over the top, like wildly over the top. Um, the offense is still very good on the whole. Um, Hurts had a bad first half. Like, Jalen Hurts is a very, very, very good player. Um, quarterbacks have bad halves. He did not have a good half. Um, I can only assume that slant flat, he's terrified about the ball getting tipped mm -hmm. um, because it's so open. Like, the slant is just so cleanly open. You actually didn't show another play. There was another play in the game when um, Hurts definitely should have handed it off. And he kept it, and I, I didn't understand why. I think the interception is entirely his fault. I don't think it's bad luck. I think he should, he should be a handoff, and the flat's not open, by the way. So if he's throwing, if he's throwing the flat, it's not open, and he ends up throwing it with someone directly in front of him. That's now two interceptions this year, doing the exact same thing. He needs to get better at that play. Um, the weird thing is, he's he can be very, very efficient and very good on RPOs. So it's a weird one. I don't really know. Um, where I, I personally, I would not say stop running them because they're very good at them and it's a huge part of the offense. It's just got to be, it's execution. Yeah. Sometimes everyone wants to point to play calling. Sometimes it's just execution. I don't sound like Chip Kelly too much out here, but sometimes players just need to execute plays that you've called. Um, where I take criticism of play calling is when I think that they're not doing things to help out their quarterback. And he just made some bad reads in this particular game. I don't think it's panic stations. I don't think it's been them from the offense. From the offense, I think it's just something that he needs to improve because there were a few that he clearly got wrong. And that slam flat, I can only assume he's got a tip pick in his head um, because it's about as easy as a read as you'll get in the NFL. It's man coverage, just slam, and the flat is wide open. Yeah, uh, one more that I I actually I had on my clip and I cut it off before I showed it. This is one in the second half where it's not just him pulling it when he should give it. This time he gives it when he should have pulled it. Uh, this You've got a stack at the bottom of the screen. I think it's Julio Jones and Devonta Smith. And the slot corner blitzes. And they've got a bubble tack, uh, tacked onto the back of this. Like This is one where you clearly pull this out and you throw the bubble. You can see he comes. 
you've got Devonta Smith right here, Julio Jones to make a block and you get Devonte in space, but he hands that one off. There's nothing there. And Deandre Swift ends up taking like a four yard loss. So it wasn't just that he was trying to hand it off or that he was pulling it when he shouldn't. There was also some examples of him giving it when he shouldn't. It was just very bizarre. Yeah, I didn't have that as one of my points, but I easily could have because it was very, very similar. Um, because there were some comments about Brian Johnson this week, uh, I thought I'd make my second point and actually both our second points. So as a pull behind the curtains, we've said this every week, we don't necessarily talk before the show. So our second point ended up being very, well, it was literally <laughs> word for word the same. Um, I want to talk about play sequencing this week. So I want to talk about long-term play sequencing, not just short-term. And I think you might get into some of the calls as well if we don't double up too much. Um Something that I think is really good about Brian Johnson this year is that he's bringing in um, plays that we've seen from previous weeks and then running stuff off them, which I think is really cool. So if you remember, if you listened last week, I spoke about the fact the Eagles randomly went under center for a single snap two weeks ago and they ran the ball to a sharp penny. Then last week they went under center twice and one of them was for a standard carry and the second one was to a uh, sort of a jet sweep to DeAndre Swift. So this week, what did they do? If you look at play four on my film, Fred, uh, the Eagles went under center once again from pony personnel, because every time the Eagles go to pony personnel, it's going to be a great play. I've accepted that by now. And this time they fake the Jets, the jet sweeps and DeAndre Swift. And oh my goodness, the Bills linebackers were obsessed with DeAndre Swift in motion in this game. If you ever want to know how good a player is, I think this is a good Greg Coselism. Look at how other teams treat your players. It's always a very good way of telling you how good someone is. Who are, as a defense, who are you doubling? Who do the defensive coordinators see as the man to take away? And I'm telling you, the Bills' offensive staff highlighted DeAndre Swift as a major problem in this game plan because they were obsessed with him in motion. I've already showed you the play earlier on about Jalen Hurst's touchdown. Um, that again was using the sweep or the fake jet sweep from DeAndre Swift. That might not be a fake jet sweep, actually. Apologies. That's just a fake motion, a dummy motion. Um, but it's still the same idea. So there's some long term sequencing by, John, by Brian Johnson, which is really good. All you're doing is you're putting an image in a defense's head and Shanahan's brilliant at this. You need to slow them down at this level for half a second, a quarter of a second. Just give a linebacker on a standard uh, inside zone carry the possibility that it might not be a standard run and just that half a second can make a big big difference so that was some of the long-term sequencing um, they did they also had an outstanding um, example of short-term sequencing um, which I'm going to guess Shane you're going to get into so shall I leave the floor with you to talk about some of the things they did in this week uh, in the short term of sequencing, seeing as we've got the same point. This yeah, week. are you talking about the the little flat RPO? And then the touchdown? Yes. Yes, uh, you go for it, seeing as I've done the other one. And then if I've got anything to add, I'll throw it back. Okay, after. so uh, the Eagles had, it was two plays and a three-play sequence. So the first one is, it's a third and two or a third and three, I can't remember. Uh, they come out with two running backs in the backfield and they're going to run a play they like to run with Goddard a lot where they pull him behind the formation as if it's a split zone, but it's not. He releases into the flat. And then you have on the first play, Devonta Smith is just targeting the guy that's supposed to be covering the tight end. He's just going to run at him. And so you have the option to hand it off to the running back, or you can get Jalen Hurts out on the edge, which is what they do to convert this third down. So you see at the snap of the ball, uh, the defensive end is going to come down on the run play. Jalen Hurts is going to get outside the pocket. Watch De Deon or Devonta Smith runs at the safety. They get the ball to Jack Stoll. He gets down to like the four-yard line to pick up the first down. Now, what's great about this is two plays later, they're going to call like a run play. They get like one yard. But like two plays later, they're going to come back and they're going to run a play that looks exactly the same, except it's not. And it's going to be the touchdown to A.J. Brown. And so what I love on this play, it's a little bit different look. They start out looking at like they're in pistol. DeAndre Swift steps up to now it's in shotgun. And it's the same thing. They're going to pull the tight end behind the formation. A.J. Brown is going to look like he's going to go run into the defender. And then all of a sudden he just peels off into the back of the end zone for the touchdown. And it's wide open because A.J. Brown's guy has seen this play recently. He sees the tight end coming down. He's going to step down to the flat and he leaves AJ Brown wide open. Beautiful play sequencing. If it looks familiar, it's because the Eagles did this to the Cowboys last year as well at with, it didn't look exactly the same, but it was the same thing with the slant flat. And then the flat that turned into like the corner route. Uh, that's how they got Trevon Diggs last year against the Cowboys. So 
I thought that was great play sequencing by Brian Johnson. A lot of times you set things up weeks in advance. Sometimes you set up things that will pay off like a quarter later. And sometimes you just smash the same button like two out of three plays and it works. So I thought that was a great feel for the game there with Johnson and really good execution by Hertz and AJ Brown. And this leads, it's just, it's just great podcasting, lads. This is this is what we're doing. This leads perfectly into my third point. And um, I think this also leads nicely into your third point, which is I'm very happy with some of the sequencing we're seeing. Um, I am not at all happy with the first quarter from Brian Johnson. So you're gonna have a let's have a realistic discussion about Brian Johnson without saying the words fire or he's the best. Um, there is big issues, in my opinion, with what the Eagles are doing early on in games. It is not just a fluke. And I don't think it's as simple as saying, oh, Jalen Hurts is so clutch. Um, yes, he's really good in the fourth quarter, but the offense is better. So just like any great podcaster does, I am currently looking up EPA numbers. Um, and some of them are pretty frightening, Shane. So if I was to ask you, if I was to go on uh, quarterback EPA plus CPOE, which is completion percentage over expected, uh, minimum plays 50. And you were to just look uh, early on in games, uh, Jalen Hurts is significantly worse than he is later on. Um, I'm trying to bring it up, but I know his numbers when they're behind are out of this world. Um, I think he leads the league in EPA. I saw the stats day from Next Gen Stats when the Eagles are... Um, are uh, behind he's currently around 10th in the on um, in the first quarter whereas if you look at when they're behind he jumps up all the way to first so it's not a dramatic difference but i still think um it suggests that there is a problem with the opening plays um this game i just found frustrating so the eagles have got a fantastic run game um they've got a quarterback who as much as we love him there seems to be some statistics out there that he struggles maybe a little bit earlier on in games and they came out pass, pass, pass. And it wasn't just the fact they threw on every play. The first play, they had no protection for the new right tackle. It's just come into the game. There was no chip. There was no help. Now, granted, um, yeah, she had a good game the rest of the game, just cool. But it, it, I would, the root concepts to me were just very bland. Like, I'm not saying you have to come out and run the ball. And I'm not saying you have to run an RPO, especially when we've seen the problems. But maybe just start out and get your quarterback in a rhythm. Give him a completion. Give him something. I think on every single one of the first three plays, he has to run outside the pocket. And they were all throwaways. I, I, all three yeah, of the first I, plays were throwaways. And there was nothing like really, really obviously. I mean, there was there wasn't anything open. I think they're still obsessed with trying to get a big play to start the game off, like an explosive opener. Um, the other interesting thing, which I think you are going to talk about now, is how the bill, or when you get your third point, is the bills were not a team that stacked the box. So they were showing the Eagles really successful run looks. So I think on the first play, I remember looking at it, the Eagles had three receivers to one side. If you count the running back, you're released into the flat. The bills had four over three. And then the Eagles ran like a double post combination on the backside, if my memory serves me correctly. And they had three over two on the backside. So that is the dream combo. I think that's the best coverage in the modern NFL is still zone match, four over three, three over two. I think that is as good as it gets. That's still to this day the best passing coverage, in my opinion, however you want to call it, where we were triangle coverage, box coverages. That, that does not lend itself to throwing the ball. Two deep safeties. Uh, clearly got one man over each side. That means you've got an extra man in the box. Like sometimes don't be afraid to start the ball with a, with a run. Don't be afraid to start the ball with a screen. I don't think there was a single screen this week, um, like an angle screen or a Texas screen, whatever you want to call it, that we saw blow up last week into Kansas City. I just think they need to get themselves in a bit of a rhythm because when they fall behind, something seems to click into gear. And I mean, every, I, I hate the idea of good plays and bad plays because if the first play could work and the double post is open and they hit it for 45 yards, Brian Johnson's a genius. But it looked like the Bills had a pretty good read on some of the Eagles passing concepts in this game. I thought the Bills coverage looked really good. And I know the Bills have had injuries this year and their secondary is not meant to be that good. So it just makes me wonder whether the Eagles passing concepts were a little bit predictable. Um, I don't know. It's very hard unless you watch a film for me to explain this. But that exact play I'm talking about, which I believe was sort of like a stick concept of a left with a flat from the running back like a little hitch from the tight end and like a deep corner route from the receiver on that side with a double post backside um we're getting into the weeds a little bit here sorry um they ran that exact same play on the second drive the exact same concept it was identical and it didn't work then as well so it was almost like 
I've seen this in the week. It should work. Let's do it again. And on both plays, I remember it well. I didn't clip it up, but I remember thinking, I've seen this play. <laughs> I saw this play about three minutes ago. And that to me almost says like in the game planning, this play is meant to work against this defense and the Bills are not calling the defense we're expecting. Let's try it again. And I just felt like the Eagles could have done more to get Hurts in the rhythm early on. Um, and to me, the answer is running the ball early on. Um, by the way, I gave you half the stat earlier, and I should have said, when you go to third and fourth quarter, um, Jalen Hurts ranks fifth in EPA and completion uh, com- uh, completion percentage over expected. So he goes from 10th in first quarter to fifth. So there was clear improvement there. And I think the offense as a whole, I don't have the running numbers as well, but they were definitely, they definitely would, I would assume they look better in the second half um, in recent weeks in particular, where they've definitely been better at coming back. Um I think this point leads nicely onto your third point, Shane. So taking what the defense gives you. Um, I actually didn't clip up any of this play, so I'm excited to see what you say. But I'm guessing you saw the same thing as me and you felt that there were some looks where the Eagles had advantageous numbers in the box and they could have run the ball. Is that a fair statement? Yes, and I actually don't have clips on this one. But to your point on the on the EPA numbers, I put this out earlier in the week. Uh, this is the Eagles' offensive and defensive EPA per play along with every other team in the NFL in the second half. And then this circle with the red X is where they would fall for first half. And so like they're often it's, if it use, if you use like the diagonal team tiers thing, they're in the top tier uh, in the second half and they're in like the fourth tier when it comes to the first half. And so clearly like the, the defense is worse. The offense is worse in the first half and those are related, but yeah, the Eagles have been such a second half team. Uh, if somebody can figure out how to get them to play two second halves, they would be literally unstoppable. Yeah, and just quickly on that, like that's good in some ways. You could say, oh, they're improving. And uh, you can look at every stat both ways. I can't remember who said this, um, but I love someone said this the other day that I read online. Um, stats should never create narratives. They should support narratives, which I think is just the best way of looking at stats and football in general. Um, you're very good at the graphics, a lot better than I am. Um, but <laughs> that is a great example of a stat like i'm not i'm not creating a narrative and the eagles are rubbish in the second half I, I, that's what i see on film and i genuinely had not seen that before um and i'm not lying to listeners I, I will get things wrong on this podcast because sometimes i will say what i think i see and sometimes you see things in film that isn't supported by stats and that's where we have to have a debate maybe as to why but that doesn't surprise me at all because when you get into the flow of the game it feels like the eagles are better um now the flip side of that is i'd rather them get better than get worse because that suggests that we're maybe as the game's going on, we're seeing what the defense is doing and we're reacting and that's completely fine. If you score 30 plus points a week and you play like you did this week, I'm not going to have any huge problems. I still think that there is room for growth on the early sequencing. And there's actually another example I wanted to mention. Um, The Eagles touchdown where they faked a screen to Julio Jones. Now, earlier on in the game, they ran a screen to Julio Jones on third and 14 and everyone went absolutely mental. Now, I'm okay with the argument that running it on third and third 14 is basically a give up play. If you're going to come back to it later on, we could have a debate about are the Eagles too good to have a give up play? Should they just try and complete a third and 14? But in my opinion, third and 14 and screen studio Jones is a give up play live. I'm sure you went mad, but if you think about the fact they came back to it later on, then it makes you think, Oh, maybe they were planting that seed of doubt in the bills, defensive backs heads on that third and 14, which I can sort of get on board with. What I struggle with is the opening sequence Mm -hmm. because they weren't really testing out, see what the bills were doing there because I know they ran that exact concept, as I said, about four plays later and the bills played it the exact same way. And Jalen hurts ran out of the pocket and threw it away. Um, I think some of it hurts bowed a little bit early at times this week, but I was looking down the field and there wasn't a lot of concepts that I wouldn't call like naturally, um, you know, I mean, like pick roots or something easy to create easy separation or screen part. There wasn't an easy answer. He had to hold the ball because there really wasn't anywhere to go. So my complaint is more with like the opening of games. And then, yes, you can argue that the Eagles are getting better. So that's good. But I, with this offense, I want them to be top three, top two with the talent they've got. So if they're going from the fourth tier to the second tier, they should be starting at the second tier and then potentially moving towards the first because there's no reason why a team with this much talent isn't shouldn't be as good as any offense in the league in my opinion yeah. should we get back to your third point yeah about my, taking what the defense gives you yeah mine just defense. take what the defense gives you um may i remind you that this game was played in a torrential downpour against a team that showed a light box on 72 percent of early downs 
just run the football. Like I am not a run the ball guy. You will not hear me pounding the table and saying run the ball. But in this situation, 72% light boxes on early downs when the Eagles were constantly behind the sticks in the first half. Just put the ball in the belly of the back and run it. The Eagles handed the ball off to a running back 17 times on early downs in this game for 117 yards. That's 6.88 yards per carry. Uh, They had .107 EPA per play running the ball on early downs. Versus 28 dropbacks at .02 EPA per play. Like, you were set up for your shot plays, your explosive plays downfield, when you get into a second and five. Much more so than a first and ten or a second and ten. Like, then the defense has to respect that run. In the first half, the the Eagles only called a run play on 40% of their snaps. On the three straight scoring drives in the second half, it was at 65%. Now, some of that is RPOs. A lot of times it's Jalen Hurts making these decisions or you're allowing the defense to dictate decisions. And if you can, uh, you know, if you can get into a light box count and still force them to throw by how an unblocked defensive end uh, attacks, that's ideal. You're forcing the offense to do what you set up your defense to stop. And so that's where sometimes you need to lay off the RPOs and just run the ball. Uh, In the first half, they were running a lot of their uh, two by two sets with the split zone action. And that was not working in the second half. They ran a lot from three by one sets running to that left side. Like we said, not the split zone. uh, And that's where a lot of their big runs came from. So I would like to see them dictate to the defense a little bit more like, you know, we've talked about all the checks between offense and defense and how it's a chess match. And at the end of the day, if a team is giving you light boxes, run the ball down their throat and make them adjust. Don't let them dictate all the time. Hey, our passing game is struggling, but we're going to keep running RPOs and letting you force us to throw it into light boxes, because that's what I felt like the Eagles did in the first half. It's what they changed in the second half. If you want to know what changed first half to second half, Yes, there's execution issues, but the Eagles committed to running the ball, the very thing that Bills were giving them, and it made all the difference. Yeah, final thing before we go onto the defense about that is we haven't said the word single high, let it fly much of late, Shane. And it's because defenses aren't playing single high. And we're not getting easy single high coverages on first down. Those shots to AJ Brown are not there at the moment. Um, You do the maths, you work it out. If they're not playing single high, that means they're playing too high, um, which means that there's going to be one less man in the box. And the Eagles used to make it basically impossible to play single high on early downs. Sorry, to play too high on early downs because the threat of Hurts running could just take away two defenders. It's still not doing that. You saw in that example earlier on where Hurts kept uh, where Hertz, um, kept the ball. Yes, Julio Jones and um, the tight end style had like the worst blocks of all time, but I don't think he was making it to the edge. And I think Hurts is more mobile currently, but he's not really fully mobile and they're not getting plus one in the box from the QB run game. And if you're not getting plus one in the box in the QB run game, that means the defense is happy to commit an extra secondary defender. And I just don't think the, the Eagles are throwing it. Those first three plays I'm watching it, like the Bills have just got men in coverage. As I said earlier on, I don't want to go on about it, but box coverage, three over three, triangle coverage, three over two. That's a re- If you get a good team that are coached well by someone like Sean McDermott, who can absolutely coach defense and you get someone who can coach very well, four over three, three over two. That's really, really hard to throw against. Um, a really, really well-coached defense in zone match, four over three, three over two is very tough. Um, and I just think the answer there is we've got an extremely good running back. We've got an extremely good offensive line. There's two high safeties. Let's run. And it sounds really, really boring and really simple analysis, but sometimes people overcomplicate football. And I think the Eagles came out, in my opinion, that pass, pass, pass. That was like they sat in the meeting room. We're going to open the game and pass. No matter what the coverage is, this is how we want to open up. We've got this play circle. We like this stick route with a corner on the backside double post. We like this. We're going to run it. And it didn't work. And they probably should have pivoted earlier than they did because they definitely had the boxes available to them to be able to run the ball. But anyway... Uh, it was a good offensive performance. We're nitpicking because that's what we do. Um, but yeah, let's get on to defense, I think. All right, well, let's throw it to a quick break, and then we will be back to break down our top takeaways from the defensive side of the ball. Back right after this. Exaggerations and half-truths aren't new in politics. But now, with AI, 
people can create fake videos of candidates to sway your vote. I'm former U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara, and I've teamed up with technology expert and law professor Nita Farahani on my podcast, Stay Tuned with Preet, for a three-part miniseries, AI on Trial. Our second episode presents the hypothetical case of a hotly contested Senate race that is derailed when the leading candidate is accused of using AI to enhance his performance and hurt his opponent. How are we supposed to know when the technology becomes very difficult to validate something as truth or lies? Do existing laws, policies, and government agencies sufficiently safeguard the political process? Political speech is so tightly protected under First Amendment that it makes regulating in this space a real challenge. And what needs to happen to protect democracy in time for the real presidential election in November? When our elections are so close, where it comes down to nail-biting endings, a few voters here and there can really lead to differences in outcomes. The episode is out now. Search Stay Tuned with Preet wherever you get your podcasts. We are back here on the Shane page, ready to nitpick the defensive side of the ball because that's what we do, right? That's what film guys do. We're going to nitpick things. We're going to see what we can see. Uh, And sometimes we're just going to talk about how incredible the opposing quarterback was because that's what is all over the film. If I had to condense my defensive takeaways into one, it would be that I liked what the Eagles defense did and Josh Allen just played a phenomenal game. (laughs) Yeah, it's... um... I don't know. I don't know, man. It's 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 hard watching film sometimes. I'm watching the film thinking, yeah, do you know what? He, he, I think the Eagles game plan was good, but they're well coached. I mean, I go to the team stats and I say, oh, 505 total yards, 332 passing yards, 173 rushing yards. And I'm watching it thinking, I thought they played run defense well. And then, oh, right, Josh Allen had eight for 91. Oh, James Cook, 16 for 43. Latavius Moe, nine for 30. Oh, so the run defense was good. Um, oh, but Josh Allen, yeah, nine for 81, two touchdowns. Um, and by the way, they uh, converted a, 11 of 18 third and longs ooh. in the game. Just like, man. Yeah. Like, basically, we're not going to turn this into a Josh Allen podcast because it's an Eagles podcast. I think you just have to put a massive, like, asterisk next to everything we say. And I think Josh Allen played out of his mind in this game. And there are some things you can do nothing about. The Eagles could absolutely do things better in this game. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the defense was great. Um, but... As I said, sometimes stats will disprove what I say because I say things based on what I see. Um, I thought the defense played quite well. Um, I will say, and I think you'll get into one thing, I think the pass rush is one area where they allowed Josh Allen to play well. But I do think that Josh Allen just played um, a heck of a game. And I think when he is on it, he is the best in the league. Like I, I really do. I think when he is fully feeling himself, he is as dangerous as aggressive as a runner as aggressive as a passer I, I don't think it gets better than him when he is really really on top of his game so just a massive asterisk that i thought the defense played quite well weirdly but you have to take everything with a pinch of salt because the the off the opposing offense played a really really good game in this one yeah absolutely so let's get into it my first takeaway is just this is like at this point it's recycling points because we've talked about it multiple times but the defensive line rotation is really concerning. Um, Jalen Carter played 76 snaps in this game. Uh, his previous high was 51, so he outpaced that by 24 snaps. Jordan Davis played 62 snaps. His previous high in a game was 37, uh, which is 25 more than his previous high. Now, the good thing you can spin off of that is, I guess his hamstring's fine. Played 62 snaps. On like that 62nd snap, we see him running down Josh Allen, which is just one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. Um, and, and there's a certain point that you can't do a lot about that when Milton Williams is in concussion protocol. Fletcher Cox gets hurt. I think it was like in the second half. Um, but on the edge, you have Hassan Reddick and Josh Sweat playing 83 and 81 snaps respectively. This isn't a preview podcast, but it isn't ideal to have played that many snaps on a short week right before you face the 49ers who have an extra three days of rest from playing on Thanksgiving. Uh, The 49ers have an interior offensive line trio that is they're bad, like very bad. PFF has them as pass block grades of 51, 45 and 23 on the season. 
this is a game, and again, not a preview podcast. This is a game where the Eagles' interior pass rush needs to win quickly. They need to be able to stop the run and win quickly. And I don't know. I haven't seen an injury report if Fletcher Cox is going to be back. I would assume Milton Williams will be back off the concussion. But you've got Carter and you've got Davis coming off of career-high snap counts. And that does worry me a little bit. And it doesn't just worry me for this game. This is the big one, but it worries me as the season progresses. Now, if the Eagles can win this game, they suddenly have a 95% chance as the one seed. And you could conceivably, uh, you could conceivably not, you could conceivably have a bye and still not play these guys like the last two or three weeks of the season. So you could be remarkably fresh, uh, but it is something worth monitoring as we go down the stretch. I feel like it, at this point, it must be a plan. Like, I think the Eagles are almost planning around the fact they're going to be the one seed. Um, like, I don't know. People can talk, people can say it's boring. People can moan about it. It, it. Absolutely matters. Like, we see defenders that stay fresh play better down the stretch. We saw it last year with the Eagles. Sweat and Reddick were rotating a lot more than they currently are. Uh, I'm telling you, if you're a film nerd, go and watch the fourth quarter. You know, when they the Bills just randomly had three long runs in a row. It was like first down, first down, first down. And you're watching it thinking, what's going on? Um, Jalen Carter was dead. He had nothing in the tank. There was a play where he tackled the running back and the running back actually ran through his arm. And you could see him like huffing and puffing in the back, in the back of the All-22 screen. And I was thinking, this, this man's gone. Like, I don't think Jordan Davis got injured chasing Josh Allen on that play. I mean, he just collapsed. I think he like, couldn't get up. He made it ridiculous plays in overtime like fair play everything i said about jordan davis conditioning like oh my goodness but it is absolutely a problem um i have no idea actually this was the first week the first week of the whole season where i went yeah i don't get what nolan smith has done not to play more because he had a couple of really good snaps and he didn't play again and other weeks i've defended the coaches and i've said no do you know what nolan smith doesn't deserve to play he's not been good enough this week he had a really nice couple of plays the Eagles need to trust him a little bit more, man, because it's going to catch up with them. I am almost certain. Like, the amount they're playing at the moment, Jordan Davis' snap count, that's got to be the most he ever played in his entire life. It absolutely impacts you down the stretch. Um, so I'm hoping that the Eagles are almost planning for the one seed. Um, but I, I think it will be a problem um, down the stretch. Um, yeah, Nolan, Nolan Smith had two pressures and six pass rushing snaps. Uh, he had a really good, and granted it was against a tight end, but he had a good job setting the edge on a toss play against Dalton Kincaid. I, I would have liked to have seen him play a little more. Not that that helps with the defensive tackle thing. Uh, I, and I'm more concerned about that this week than I am like sweat and Reddick long-term, but it's definitely a concern on the edge too. Yeah. Um, let's pick up my first point. So we've already mentioned them. I, I thought Jordan Davis and Jaden Carter were so good in this game. Like, they are taking over. I think they could be, both of them could be all pros the way they're playing at the moment, moving like in a couple of years. I think Jalen Carter might be <laughs> very, very soon. Um, they were just so, so good against the run. And the best thing I saw this week was I didn't get a clip of it, but Jordan Davis had a couple of pass rushing snaps as well. And I was like, yes, because start of the season, he was providing something as a free technique or a one technique in a four-man front as a pass rusher. Last few weeks, it just went. You could tell he wasn't healthy. We've said it before. When he when Jordan Davis is healthy, you realize he's healthy because you're like, ah, he's really, really good again. Um, so I'll tell you what, I'll combine my first two points because my first point was about Carr and Davis, but it's mainly against the run. And my second point was about run def defense in general. So if you take a look at a few of my clips that I put out this week, if you go to um, clip two, and I'll be honest, I could have put out like 10 clips like this. Jordan Davis just destroys... Uh, basically a double team like by the time compare that clip earlier on to the show to the one i showed you jason Kels getting to the second level in a second the bill's offensive line cannot get to the second level here at all so nicholas moreau looks like he's coming in free um even though the center stays with jordan davis for a while he still doesn't do enough to stop the play and there were so many plays uh, on film this week where jordan davis just absolutely um blew up a running play my favorite one by a mile um, that I tweeted was clip uh, 10 where Jaden Carter just like sheds the um, right guard. Like he's not even there. Like if, if you had no offensive line in front of Jalen Carter here and asked him to make a tackle, I think it would look the exact same as it does with the offensive lineman there he, to say he may as well not be there. is not an exaggeration. <laughs> and I love the fact Jalen Carter just stares at the running back on the floor after almost to give him like a look as in like, Oh, what is this? This is child play for me. Is this the NFL? Um, 
he absolutely struggled down the stretch, Jalen Carter. Um, there is no doubt in my mind. And if you don't believe me, just go and watch the last drive. I'm telling you, watch those free run plays where they just went first down, first down, first down. All of that was fantastic. Um, do you do you know was, do you know who that right guard is by the way by chance? I do not. So that's also a rookie guy named Osiris Torrance who played at Florida. That's Torrance. Yeah, Jalen wow. Carter actually has a clip one of my followers tweeted at me where he did that exact same thing to him last year in college. So a uh, fun little throwback there. That is amazing. Yeah, because I like Torrance and. Um... Yeah, I must admit, my knowledge of opposing uh, teams gets worse and worse as I watch just two match Eagles play. I did not realize he was a starting guard, as in for, um, the right guard in that play. That's awesome. Um, yeah, he destroys him. And the other thing is, I spoke last week about the Eagles coaching staff having... The Eagles had a clear problem last week. Um, I don't need to go back and revisit the film, but go back on my thread and you'll find the Chiefs game. They could not defend the edge on, run, on running plays. And it happened multiple times. And I criticized the edge defenders, but I put a big asterisk next to it saying... I do not know who is at fault here. I am now going to correct what I said last week. I think it was the linebackers at fault. I think the Eagles edge defenders were coached to play the way they did because the reason why is it happened quite a lot in this game as well. And if you go to clip seven of my uh, film threads, it's very similar to last week. Hassan Reddick jumps straight inside of the tackle. And what that does is it forces the running back to the outside. It's very clear the way running backs are taught is look at the head of the guard or the defensive line. Sorry, if they're inside, you know, break it outside. So um, I think it's James Cook immediately goes to the outside and Nicholas Moreau is there waiting because the second he sees Reddick jump inside, Moreau knows he has to set the edge. Cunningham also gets there quickly. Jordan Davis, guess what? Also blows up the play by just he's three yards in the backfield Jordan Davis uh, is it's hilarious watching him this week but just like I love run game I love the fits in the run game as well for the defensive side of the things um and last week I was really really disappointed because they just blew like three or four outside runs and I think the good thing about that play was number one it proves to me that the coaches looked at what they went what went wrong with the game last week and they've corrected it and also it makes me feel a little bit better that Reddick and Josh Sweat last week weren't just blowing up inside for the sake of it I have a feeling that was a linebacker or a um, other defender, probably a safety that was meant to fit in the gap there. And it wasn't Reddick at Sweat or Fault, which I prefer to the alternative, which is just Reddick and Sweat just jumped inside and were getting tired and were trying to make big plays against Mahomes. And I, remember, I think I remember saying to you, someone said that, that they were trying to jump inside because they were trying to affect the quarterback and I didn't really buy it and I still don't. I think that's just what their game plan to do against that specific running play or the way the Bills have lined up in that. Uh, particular instance um i didn't actually put this in the film fred but jordan davis in overtime was unbelievable i don't know shane if you can very quickly go to my twitter from yesterday and apologies um because i rarely put like plays up in a row but uh two final things i wanted to talk about are on my film fred just firstly jordan davis in overtime was out of this world so considering how many snaps he's played in overtime, he had two plays where he completely stuffed the running back for um, no gain. Um, and he just blows up once again. He blows up the offensive uh, guard and center. There's a few clips here if you can't see. Um, first one, he just goes straight through the guard and center like he's not there. Second one, he's lined up a nose tackle as part of a five-man front, and he just completely <laughs> destroys the center. On the same drive, he chases Josh Allen out of the pocket. And I don't know if Josh Allen would have got any more yards here because there is a linebacker there. I don't care. He keeps up with him. He keeps up with him and he forces him out of bounds. It's And he's dead on his feet. I mean, not on his feet, actually. He's just laying down. But for a guy who we've questioned his conditioning, who's had injuries in the past, to have three plays in overtime that look like this is so, so exciting. The only thing I'll say is just to finish my point and go back to your first point is I don't want Jordan Davis doing this 60 times a game. The Eagles have got to find a way to not use him as much because I want Jordan Davis to be as fit as anyone down the stretch. Um, and I don't want him battling niggles and conditioning problems. But yeah, I, I think it's so exciting. I think the defensive line has me more excited in any position. I think Davis, Williams, Cox and Carter are all like top 20, top 25 players. And I thought Carter and Davis really stood out this week. Um, so yeah, I think they're awesome. And it's going to be good to watch them grow for the rest of the year. Yeah. All right, on to my second point, which is I want to talk about Darius Slay. And just like we put an asterisk in saying Josh Allen was incredible, uh, I can put an asterisk in here and say James Bradbury played his best game of the season, I thought. Uh, so James Bradbury trending up, hopefully. Darius Slay, 
played really well, which again, sounds crazy to say when you gave up 34 points and 500 yards, but see the aforementioned Josh Allen point. But I want to show a couple plays from Darius Slay and just talk about what's going on here. So on this first play, Slay is at the bottom of the screen. He is on an island. Uh, this is single high safety, which is Sydney Brown. And Sydney Brown is looking the other way, which is interesting because Sydney Brown is looking at the two receiver side. And generally that's not what you would do as the single high, but uh, it's a dig route against Darius Slay. And the route breaks off inside right as Slay opens his hips to the sideline to run vertically. And so he gets spun around. You never want to get spun around as a cornerback, but he's able to recover and stick right with this route. It's almost like he's running the route for him. And I just thought that was incredible that at his age, Darius Slay is able to spin around and stick right with the receiver there. Um, makes it makes an incompletion. Uh, really good job there. On this second one, this time he's in the slot on Stefan Diggs, which he normally doesn't play in the slot, right? Normally, really, normally this season, he has played exclusively on the left side. Before the bye, he played 388 snaps on the left side versus only 83 on the right. In the two weeks since the bye, it's been evenly split, 76 on each side. So he's been moved side to side. He played 14 snaps in the slot this game. Uh, he's only had 16 in the slot the rest of the season combined. So they're starting to use Darius Slay to move around more. Here, he's got good coverage on Stefan Diggs initially. Uh, it's cover one with a spy. So you're rushing five guys. Uh, you've got a spy on Josh Allen, and Josh Allen just does Josh Allen things. I don't know how he gets out of this. Slay has good coverage. He gets beat on sort of a scrambled. It's not a scramble drill, but Diggs breaks that route back outside. It's the only completion Slay allowed. It was really good coverage. Like you expect almost every other quarterback in the league is taking a sack right there. And then the last one I wanted to talk about, he's at the bottom of the screen here, matched up with Stefan Diggs, who is going to run like a little double move. And Slay is not buying it at all. Like does not take the bait, doesn't even move. Just you know, he knows it's not going to be that way. And Allen has to come off and throw a check down. So I thought Slay did a really good job in this game. Uh, I thought it was probably Slay's best game of the year. Uh, I also thought it was probably Bradbury's best game of the year, which again sounds insane to say in this game. When you gave up that in a rainstorm, I thought they were really good. And, and it, I think that bodes well for the season moving forward. It's mad this, isn't it? I had the exact same thought. Um, I think I tweeted in my first clip. I said this was Bradbury's best game or one of his best games. I didn't want to give Bradbury a contract last year. I'm fully open with that. You can... I, mean, I have to can't lie. You can go and read my film review of him when I said I wouldn't give him another contract. Um, for some of the reasons we've seen this year, um, Slay and Bradbury had their best games, and that's really, really exciting because the rest of the secondary looks quite good at the moment. I think the way they're using Bayard, and actually this links to my third point now. So my third point was about the Eagles man coverage. I think the way they're using Bayard as like a tight end eraser type in man coverage is not actually really what he's best at. And I think he is going to get beat a bit by really good tight ends. Um, I think actually he's better in zone, uh, in particular in the red zone, which is what I saw when I sort of studied him. Um, but I think the rest of the second, he was coming across pretty nicely. They'll get Justin Evans back soon, which I think will help. They're doing some weird thing with Eli Ricks and Bradley Roby on first and third down. I don't really get it, but Roby's basically playing first and second down only. I assume some of it's just to keep Ricks fresh as well. And I guess Roby's better at some run fits they do on early downs. Um, I'm guessing there's some reason there. But I still, I don't really know how to feel about the Eagles in coverage because I'm sorry, I'm a, I like Jonathan Gannon, some of his stuff he did, I said it. And I, I sort of still wish the Eagles had a little bit more zone match than they do. Um, they run some quite predictable man coverage and I still find it quite difficult to fully buy into their pass defense because of it. So the two examples I want to give you where I'm still like, I'm unsure. Um, firstly was the... Um, if I bring up my thread, see what number it was. It was the uh, clip uh, eight on my film thread where the Bills have two wide receivers to the left side and the Eagles are in single high coverage. Um, both cornerbacks are so close to the line of scrimmage. Now, I'm not a defensive coach. I've obviously watched a lot about why quarterbacks play in a certain place. And when you watch generic videos, loads of coaches I've always listened to have always said, don't line them up in an even split. Don't line them up on the same uh, were lying because basically you just you just lend yourselves being picked really easily. I get the Eagles want to be aggressive, 
but I'm not a coach. They know way more than me and they have reasons for doing this. All I can tell you is um, I watch the film every week and this happens quite a lot. Um, this is why they have problems with stacks and bunches. By the way, in this game, they had a few more problems with stacks and bunches in man coverage. I can't remember the exact play, but they had a few. Um, so it was just a little bit, I, I'm a little bit confused about the Eagles man coverage at times. And then if you go back to the player that basically won them the game, I guess you could say that, where Josh Allen and was it Gabe Davis had a complete miscommunication. Uh, clip 12 of my thread. I mean, this would have cost the Eagles the game. Like, we'd be having a very different chat online this week if the Eagles lose because the Bills score a touchdown. I don't mind bringing pressure against Josh Allen. Got the, I think the Eagles defense is going to live by the sword and die by the sword this year. It's very different to Jonathan Gannon. Very different. But once again, it's standard two-on-two man coverage. And I think Slay's been told, I mean, I know he's been told because he tweeted it to people who moaned at him, saying that when we send an all-out blitz, sit on the short to intermediate route. Now, I'm not going to say that NFL players shouldn't tweet their thoughts, but I know that that's what the Eagles are coached to do. And you can bet other teams have seen it, if not by film, because Slay said it. And basically, if you think the Eagles are going to run pressure, get one of these routes down the field. Run some sort of uh, crossover, some sort of scissors concept. or Because Slay is clearly playing high. There's also, I don't know if a lot of people have even seen this, there's a little bit of miscommunication between Slay and the corner at the top of the screen. As you can tell, like the fact that Slay is running behind him. But I wonder how many people have actually looked at the bottom of the screen here as well. And there's also a bit of miscommunication here as well. So if you look at the bottom of the screen on this exact same play, um, both the cornerbacks sort of take the outside receiver. Now, you might think, well, yeah, it's third and nine or whatever it was, so that's okay. You don't need to cover the flat. But if Josh Allen just threw this play to the flat route and they get six or seven yards, they're probably going for it on fourth down. So it's I still have worries about the Eagles' man coverage. I think it looks so predictable when they do it at times. Um, I think they could disguise their man coverage better. Um, and I think when they send these all-out blitzes, their man coverage seems to be a little bit I mean, I, I'm talking a stupid point. Of course, it's risky. And if you want to say, well, they made a bad throw, but at the end of the day, that, that, that play should be completed. Like, that's a miscommunication. That's not, nothing still to defense. That was a pure miscommunication. Uh, I think it's on the receiver because I think normally you're told to run inside on those particular plays, but it's very hard to tell. Um, I know the re receiver breaks the outside, and we always look at the reactions, don't we? And Josh Allen looks angry live, which means I'm more inclined to put it on the receiver. I just normally think the quarterbacks are probably the smart guys in the room on those kind of plays because they have to be. So I normally look towards the blaming the receiver, but that play should have cost the Eagles the game. And I think there'd be questions about why once again, the Eagles cornerbacks had problems dealing with um, a two receiver set. So yeah, my final point for today will be, I was weirdly happy with the Eagles defensive coverage somehow, <laughs> despite <laughs> the fact they gave up 500 passing yards. Um, but I thought Slay and Bradby were really good. I just have a couple of concerns still about the way the Eagles use man coverage. I don't think it suits some of their players like Bayard either. Um, and I think it could come back to haunt them a little bit in the future. Yeah, here's one more that I clipped up talking about what you're talking about. You've got two guys up on the line of scrimmage. I think this was really early in the game. Uh, and they just run a little rub route to get someone wide open to the flat. Just like you were talking about on that previous one, because they're at the same depth and you just sort of run into each other. So uh, just another example that I saw that I happened to have there. Uh, it's interesting that you brought up the final play because that's what I'm going to talk about. Um, and I, I I might disagree with you a little bit. So Cool. Let's do it. We don't disagree much, so go for it. Yeah, so I liked how the Eagles came out on this, on this third and nine. Uh, and here's why. We've talked before about how much I love empty offensively because of the issues it gives the defense. It spreads you out. It forces you to declare what you're doing. Um, what the Bills had done is they had gotten an empty earlier in the game, and then they just ran the ball with Josh Allen. And Josh Allen's so hard to bring down. It's the same reason the Eagles like to do it. It's what the Eagles ultimately win the game on, is motioning out to empty uh, to an advantageous look. And so I think third and nine in this situation, you have got to be plus one in the box. Uh, if you go... Uh, you know, if you play your cover one man or something like that, and you've got a safety up here, you're taking a guy out of the box. You cannot be five on five in the box. And so I liked the decision to bring the all out pressure cover zero blitz. We're going to send six. You're not going to run the ball on us and, and you're not going to have all day to sit back there and navigate around our pass rush because we stayed in zone coverage. So I liked the decision here. I thought it made sense given 
the way the bills had played, but it does it again. It shows why I love empty so much because even sitting here watching this live, like it's very obvious before the snap, what the Eagles are doing. Like this is as clear a cover zero look as you're going to get pre-snap. And I'm, st- I'm just like sweating bullets watching this live. It's like, I know what's about to happen. Josh Allen knows what's about to happen. Everybody knows what's about to happen, but that's the quandary that cover zero puts you in. And here it works out. And, uh, the 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 corners at the top they pass this route off so the outside receiver starts to break in uh, they exchange guys all of a sudden Darius Slay is on the inside I've seen a lot of people say that the receiver should be breaking over the middle here because it's cover zero that's what I guessed and but I don't know yeah I disagree because breaking over the middle he's going against his leverage like I can see why he goes outside that's where he's got leverage. That's where the throws open. I can also see why Josh Allen puts the ball over the middle. So I, I think it's somebody asked me when I put this play out whose fault it is. And I was like, I think it's just a miscommunication, but I see why both guys did what they did. But again, if you're not sending cover zero, if Josh Allen can hang on to that ball for a quarter of a second more and has time to see, like he's trying to throw it before the break happens. If he can hold on to that a quarter second more, it's a touchdown and you lose the game. And so that is why you bring that pressure. Like you said it, the Eagles defense is going to live by the sword and they're going to die by the sword at times. And they're not a blitz happy team either, but they're not afraid to bring one in those big situations. And that is one thing that I like, like the bills had dominated in the second half offensively. The Eagles had too. I like that in this key moment, they decided to dictate to the offense. Like you're going to go empty. We're going to rush six. You're not going to have time. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to make a play fast. And I think speeding that up was probably the right call there. So that was kind of my take on that play. And that was actually my last point. I wanted to talk about the quandary that empty puts you in from a defensive perspective, because I've talked about it offensively a lot. Uh, I, I personally, I liked what the Eagles did there. Yeah, I mean, but then with um, two final things, I think. Uh, firstly, this is why watching film takes time because I, it's no exaggeration to say that I could watch that play for 20 minutes and continue to go back and forth. Um, I hate to ruin the uh, argument at the end, but I, I do agree with you. So I like the play call. I would rather, and maybe it's controversial, but this is, and you've how many times you heard me on my articles or this podcast say about aggressiveness, I would rather be aggressive and lose than die passively. I could not deal with Josh Allen running against zone coverage again and winning the game that way. Like, that would kill me. So I'm okay with playing that. That play is um, where I agree with you is actually maybe I was I didn't explain myself too well. That play particularly is not the one that I have the issue with in man coverage. Like, I'm sort of okay with that. Um, if you're going to run cover zero, you've got no choice but to be in man coverage. And actually, I don't like the slow blitzes where you send, like, a safety from deep. So I'm okay being like, we're going to blitz you end of that's fine by me it was other plays in the game it was mainly the one where they were lined up next to each other but that wasn't the only play it's mainly just in general i think the eagles man coverage leaves me a little bit nervy it wasn't that particular one i had a problem with um in some ways i quite like the fact they pass off the roots um but at the end of the day i think slay looks a little bit unsettled i don't think he was fully prepared for what was going on and i think he got beat because of it but i also know because he said he is coached that when they said all that blitz not to worry about the vertical route. So unless they change their mind, I think we will see him sit on that short intermediate zone uh, in general. Um, right. I think we'll leave it there unless you've got anything else. I'll let you do the uh, the final bit. I don't know what I'm doing. I never finish a podcast. What am I, what am I saying? Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, you finish it off. It's not my job. I, maybe it should be your job. You could be our closer. Absolutely not. I'm not <laughs> Jalen Hurts. I'm as far away as possible. I, I come here and talk about what I see and let you do the fancy stuff. So you, that's, that's my job. So you're saying I'm the Jalen Hurts of this podcast? Uh, if you want to tell yourself that, then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope my first half performance was better in the podcast. But uh, yeah, yeah I, I'm with you on the overall man coverage point. I guess I was disagreeing with what I think you were saying at the end there. But yeah, the Eagles are running man coverage. And we've talked before, take these numbers with a grain of salt, but they're running man coverage at the fifth highest rate in the NFL right now, which is... I like seeing that you're playing more man. You're paying two cornerbacks top money. Uh, they haven't played great this season, but they thought they both played well in this game. I would like to see you mix it a little more up though. Like all over the film, it's really easy to tell like, Oh, the Eagles are running a cover one blitz cover one. They're sending five or cover one with a spy. Like it, it does become predictable at times, but in a different way. So I would like to see that mixed up just a little bit more, but 
we'll see what happens next week against the 49ers. Thank you guys for joining us for this episode of On the Shane Page. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us five-star ratings and reviews. Remember, mention us before Brandon and Jimmy in the review. It really it really melts our heart, makes us feel good inside. Um, likes on the YouTube videos, comments on the YouTube video also really helps out. I will tweet out the film thread. Johnny will retweet it once the episode posts, uh, probably tomorrow. I don't know why I'm saying tomorrow. It'll be today when you're listening to it. But uh, So we will catch you guys next week. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at ShaneHalfNFL. He is at Johnny Page. Be sure you check out all of his written work for Bleeding Green Nation. All of his All-22 threads, all that stuff is can be thought of best as a companion to this podcast. So be sure you check those out. We will catch you guys next week to break down the Eagles' hopeful victory over the 49ers. Go Birds! Go Birds!